The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Well, if you uh, have a Bible with you today, you might like to turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. And we're going to be looking at uh, that passage this morning, particularly the, uh, the first 18 verses of Exodus 15. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen anyway. Exodus 15, verses 1 through to 18. And this is the word of the Lord. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab, and all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone, till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. You know, folks, music and songs are certainly powerful, aren't they, in the way that they communicate to us. Songs have a way of evoking in us uh, responses and emotions that other forms of communication are really unable to. Music and songs have been used for centuries to help us to celebrate, they've helped us to grieve, they've helped teach us, and they've helped us to express ourselves in ways that, uh, that cross social, cultural, and even language barriers. 
It's no wonder that the Bible speaks much about the gift of music and singing, as these are central in the corporate praises of the people of God and the adoration of Him. We see that particularly in our book of Psalms, in our Bibles, which really is the Hebrew songbook. You know, when God powerfully and dramatically rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, it's not surprising then that Moses would lead the people in a glorious song of praise, a song of praise to God for his great salvation, which he wrought on behalf of his people. And it is to this song that we turn our focus to this morning here in Exodus 15. And the first thing I want to draw our attention to this morning is to how God-centred this song is. You know, as we read through the narrative in the previous chapter, in chapter 14, it describes the events of the crossing of the Red Sea. And we see various elements being employed in the rescue of the Israelites. We see that God used Moses and his leadership as God used Moses as his mediator to his people and to, to Pharaoh. We see God working through the pillar of cloud and of fire there as he uh, sheltered and as he led the Israelites towards the Red Sea. We even see God using the sea itself as uh, his means of of not only uh, rescuing the people but of bringing judgment upon the Egyptian army. Yet in all of these things, Moses clearly points to the fact that it was God himself who was powerfully at work in these events. The rescue was all God's doing. The song begins uh, like this, with these words. It says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with Scripture and song, you might have that song already going through your minds, going through your heads. You know, this victory was very much God's victory, which demonstrated his, limit, his limitless power, his matchless power and glory. In Exodus 14:4, God said to Moses these words, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, that meaning the Israelites. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. See, Moses had promised the people that God would fight for them, that all they needed to do was to to fear not, to stand firm, to be still, to be silent and watch the salvation of God unfold, which he would work for them. You know, this, uh, as I said, this, this song is so wonderfully God-centred. Look at how God is described in this particular passage here in Exodus 15. It speaks about the Lord being our strength. It says, the Lord is my strength, my song, my salvation. It goes on to speak about the Lord, the Lord being the man of war, the warrior God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. We see that in verse 3. We go on in verse 6 and see that the Lord is glorious in power. In verse 7, the Lord is great in majesty and the God who consumes all his enemies. And again in verse 11, the Lord is majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds and doing wonders. 
You know, this song celebrating God's mighty works highlights the fact that there is indeed no one like God. In fact, verse 11 says, Who then is like you, O Lord, among the gods? There is no one like God. There is no other who is a match for him. You know, the Egyptians worshipped Pharaoh as a god and they had numerous other gods and numerous other things that they put their hope and trust and confidence in and they all failed them. Wisdom, the, 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 the wisdom of, of the Egyptian people, the, the, the massive education that they were able to have, the technology, the mighty strength of their armies. I mean, they were the, the predominant military power of their day. But God showed that his power and superiority were far above anything of the Egyptians. And God showed that and demonstrated it in the plagues and ultimately in this Red Sea event. And it reminds us, doesn't it, that, you know, humanity, we have put our hope and our trust and confidence in all manner of things over the years. And isn't it interesting now that we suddenly find ourselves, you know, realising just how weak and powerless and hopeless these things that we've put our hope and confidence in truly are. This COVID-19 pandemic has shown that human ingenuity, human wealth, political will and power, our technology, our knowledge, our scientific minds and wisdom, etc., cannot guarantee the comfort and security that we all long for in our lives. Nor can they save us from our greatest enemy, death itself. Eventually, all these things that we employ to give us this sense of confidence that we are in control, ultimately, they all fail us. They are illusions. And yes, we can try to build our own little kingdoms here and now, but eventually they will do us no good. If you listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, when he says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits? his soul. Jesus is saying here that it doesn't matter all of the riches and all of the things we're able to put our hope and our trust and and find our meaning and purpose in here in this life. We can have all these things, but if we forfeit our soul, then ultimately they are worthless. You know, if there's one thing that this viral pandemic forces us to do, it is this, it is to ask ourselves this particular question about life, the big, one of the big questions about life, and it is this. Where is our true hope and peace and security to be found? I mean, what are you looking to in order to find these things in your life? What are you putting your hope in that you might believe or you, you hope will bring you security and peace and happiness in your life? Of course, the Bible tells us that the answer to this question, that these, you know, these things are very much found most fully in God, that peace and that hope and that security, that meaning and purpose in life, these things are found ultimately in God and made available to us through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, we spoke about this last week as remembered the death and resurrection of Jesus at Easter. And it was through his death and resurrection that Jesus made it possible for people to have their sins forgiven and to know that they have been granted eternal life, to be brought into God's family now and to know that we will always be with him. 
to have that uh, wonderful knowledge and assurance that we are his children forever. Now, Grant read to us from 1 Peter chapter 1 last week, and there's some beautiful uh, words to us from the Scriptures where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, which is undefiled and unfading, which is being kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is saying here that God is indeed through faith in Christ. God has, made, uh, had, has brought us into this new and living relationship with him, a relationship which is not just for the here and now, but which will indeed you know, guarantee us a future inheritance in heaven with him. And it speaks about how, you know, the, how that, that inheritance is, uh, um, is imperishable, it is undefiled, and it is unfading, and it is being kept even now, this minute, in heaven for all those who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith when that salvation will eventually be revealed in all its fullness. Folks, if we want to have a firm foundation that will help us to not only withstand the storms of life, but also to rise above them, then we need to fix our eyes and our hope on God. We need this God-centered focus in our lives to know that he is indeed the all-powerful and sovereign God and that all things are in his control and ultimately we are at his mercy. Of course, this brings us then to the second thing which I want to highlight from this passage today. Not only is God-centeredness, but also this passage clearly shows that God is for his people, that God is on the side of his people. You know, God's saving act here at the, at the Red Sea was for the benefit of his called-out people, the people of Israel in that particular context. And in keeping with, you know, it was not only you know, him working on their behalf, but it was also God being faithful to promises that he had made to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, to the covenants that he had entered into with them. As I mentioned before, back in Exodus 14, 14, God said that he would fight for his people. And verses 4 to 10 of our passage this morning relay or recount how God did that. Let me read them to you again. It said that Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts, he, that is God, cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. It says, your right hand, O Lord, your powerful hand, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap and the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. You know, the enemy, it goes on to say, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, 
I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. This is what is going in through the minds of Pharaoh and thinking that he is going to do these things. But then in verse 10 it says, But Lord, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. You know, it reminds me of that passage in Psalm 2 where it says, you know, the kings of this world and the leaders of this world, you know, they make their plans against God and against his anointed, but God looks down from heaven and scoffs at them. God is indeed the all-powerful and mighty God who fights on behalf of his people. And who better to have in your corner than God himself? And I encourage you to do this week perhaps an online search of the ways that God does fight on behalf of his people. There are passage, there's passage after passage after passage. Just a short search this week, I came across at least a dozen or so passages speaking of how God fights for his people and how God fights for his people. Romans 8, 31 and 39 is one of those passages and let me read it to you afresh this morning. It says that if God is for us, speaking of his people, if God is for us, then who, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who dies. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God and who is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No, Paul goes on to say, I am sure that nothing, and he goes on and lists a whole lot of things, but he says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, if you have put your faith and your hope and your confidence and your trust in Jesus, then you can know today that you are firmly secure in God's hands, that you are indeed the object of God's wonderful and merciful affections, and that he fights for you. If there is anything that should give us confidence and hope and joy in the present circumstances that we find ourselves in, it is knowing that indeed God is with us and that he is for us. And that even in the midst of all the turmoil and the confusion, the uncertainty today, that God's purposes are being fulfilled and that they will indeed succeed. Of course, God's ultimate purpose for us as his people is to bring us to himself. And this is the third thing which we need to find and we need to see here in this passage this morning. It's a theme that's picked up in verses 13 to 18 of this song where it says this. It says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. And look at verse 17. It says, you, Lord, you will bring them in. 
You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. These verses speak of God as a shepherd, leading and guiding his people to himself leading and guiding them, even in the midst of the enemies and the obstacles that they will come across along the way. It says, You have led in your steadfast love, Lord, the people whom you have redeemed. Having rescued his people through the Red Sea, God is then going to now bring his people to Mount Sinai. This, this particular song that we find here is kind of like the, the pivot point or the fulcrum point of the whole book of Exodus. All the event, it, it recounts all the events leading up to this particular point and now it points forward to all the events that will come through right to the end of, uh, of the book of Exodus. It's this fulcrum point. But, you know, having rescued his people from the Red Sea, God is now going to bring his people to Mount Sinai. And we're going to see this over the next couple of weeks in our, pass- in our messages, where God would himself enter into a covenant relationship with them. And from there, he would eventually lead them to the promised land. And later, he would make Jerusalem or Mount Zion the place where he would establish his temple and would make his dwelling amongst his people. And he would do this even amidst the people's disobedience, even amidst the people's grumbling, even amidst the, the people's unfaithfulness. Of course, again, these things all foreshadow the time in the future where God is going to finally bring his redeemed people to himself and where we will sing a new song of praise to God. If you want to uh, spend a bit of time this week, look at Revelation 19 and Revelation 21, which uh, very much points out the redeemed people of God gathered uh, in there in his new kingdom, where we are indeed will be singing a new song of praise to God and the marriage supper of the Lamb. But of course, in between verses 17 through 13 to 17, we see the journey of God's people from, from, the, from the Red Sea event towards the Promised Land and the rest that God had intended for them there. And in these verses, we see Moses is describing the, the nations around about them, nations that will eventually become, in many ways, obstacles and, and oppressors of, of, the, of the people of God, of the nation of Israel. But, but Moses describes their march through these nations as indeed a march of victory. You know, just as the mighty Egypt had been overcome by God, so would these nations be as well. And yes, the possession of the promised land would come amidst a lot of struggle and a lot of tribulation. It would come about because even of the, the, the people's own disobedience and God judging them for their disobedience. But God and his purposes for his people would win out. Now, I don't know about you, but it may not feel like it right now that, uh, that, you know, that God and his purposes are winning out. Even perhaps in your own life, you know, things are, are perhaps falling, falling apart a bit, you know, the, 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 our lives are a bit are unraveling around the edges and things like that. But this passage reminds us afresh today that God has it all in hand. He has, your, he has you and your life firmly in his grip. Because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on our behalf, we are on a victory march towards our final home in the eternal kingdom of God. 
Listen to Romans 8.37. Paul writes, he says, No, in all these things, and he's listed things like tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword, all these things, Paul says, No, in all these things, amidst all of these challenges, all these trials, all these difficulties, Paul says, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. As I said, today we face all kinds of obstacles and challenges as God's people on the way home to glory. Our own sin, the oppressive forces of this world, both human and spiritual, difficult circumstances like we find ourselves in today. But in the midst of that, we need as God's people to know for certain that our God is with us in it, that he is with you that he is leading you and guiding you as your good shepherd. And because he has already won for you the victory in Jesus Christ, you can face each day with confidence and assurance and hope. You should indeed be able to say along with Moses, the Lord is my strength and my song. He is my salvation, my God, and I will praise him. May the Lord's name be praised with our lips and in our lives today and always. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we look this morning at this particular song and we indeed want to lift our voices and unite them with the songs of your people, particularly in, you know, as they sung your praises in that day, and say that we will indeed sing to you, Lord, for you have indeed triumphed gloriously. Lord, you are our strength, our hope, our song, our salvation. You are indeed our God, and we will praise you. Gracious God, we thank you that you go before us, that you go behind us, that you go with us. Lord, you hem us in, as the scriptures remind us, that you fight for us. And Lord, that we can know that each and every day when we feel weak, where we feel hopeless, Lord, where we feel lost, where we feel insecure, that, Lord, as we look to you, you will be our anchor. You will be our strong tower. You will be our fortress. Lord, may we look to you today. May we maybe look at, at, at making you at the, putting you at the centre of our lives. Father, may we indeed have those God, that God-centred focus that Moses had here in this passage. Not only that, Lord, may we know that as you go before us and fight for us, Lord, that you are leading us in a victory march, a victory which Christ has already secured for us on the cross and through his resurrection. And Lord, we look forward to that day where we will one day be with you forever, celebrating the fullness of our salvation, that victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.